I'd like to tell you a little bit about myself. I grow, grew up in Alaska. I've lived here most all of my life. I grew up as a commercial fisherman, an assistant guide. I work construction. I've been a, a trucker for a lot of years. We've owned businesses. I've worked in Prudhoe Bay, and here's a picture of the monstrosity I ran up there. Just to show you, I really did have a real job at one time. <laughs> I, for the last 16 years, my wife and I have operated a ministry called Copper River Float Ministry. Some of you men got to experience that this last summer. Our ministry is designed to help churches start or restart their men's programs. And I, we've operated now for 16 years. We do three to four trips a year. It's been an amazing success, I, something that we never really expected to take off like it did, and to see the lives change that it has, and it's became our mission. I've also been a men's pastor, and has been my passion now to develop men's programs to help churches connect with men better. Also, I'm an avid hunter and fisherman, although in the last few years you might not know that because I haven't had a lot of time to do that and I'm an avid whitewater rafter. <clears throat> but I'm not a really a big-name speaker. I'm just a regular guy. In fact, to be very honest with you, I'm one of the few people you will ever meet that managed to fail speech <laughs> four times in college. <laughs> Two colleges, four professors, four different semesters made the pants too short every time. So if this message comes off with any degree of success, it's not because of me. Uh, I don't know if you heard the story of the little kid is failing math. So his parents took him out of public school and they took him into parochial school, Catholic school. He came home from school his first night. He's got his little math book. He goes up to his desk. He studies till dinner time goes back up and studies till bedtime. Man, the parents are kind of impressed. By Friday, he comes home, and he's not only passed his first math test, but he's aced it. Boy, they're proud of him. See, son, we knew you could do that. Oh, I had to. Well, yeah, math is important. Oh, no, it's scary in that new school. What do you mean scary? Oh, they brought me into math class. They set me in the front row, and right above the chalkboard, there was this plaque. You should see what they did to the guy in the plus sign. <laughs> All about proper motivation. Now, I don't know what that has to do with the message, but I was told in speech class, you start with a joke, so I did. <laughs> this message is actually a challenge for ordinary Christians to find their mission in life and to serve Christ. And why I say it's an ordinary a challenge for ordinary men and women is because I look out here and I don't see Billy Graham sitting out here. All of us are just ordinary people. And one of the worst lies that Satan tells us as Christians is that you don't have a mission to do for Christ. If you have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, if you have started this journey of faith, God has a ministry for you to do. And the worst thing that happens is that we believe that we aren't effective. <clears throat> Sometimes we come to church and we see these uh, missionaries that have came in from faraway lands and they're telling us about the things that they're doing and we're going, 
how would be nice to do? What do I can do? Well, your ministry is right here. If you saw our website at Copper River Float Ministry, you'll have this quote. If you've been on a trip, you've probably heard me say this. Is it possible that the greatest sin of omission is the sin of no mission? Let's break that down for a second. Theology tells us there are sins of commission, sins you commit. Lie, cheat, steal. And then there's sins of omission when you don't do what God tells you to do. Is it possible that the greatest sin of omission is the sin of no mission? So what happens when God uses ordinary people? Sometimes we feel as ordinary people that we don't have much to do for God. If you've ever felt that way, I have an awesome verse for you. It's in 1 Kings 22, 34 through 38. But a certain man drew his bow at random, and it struck the king of Israel between the scale of the armor and the breastplate. Therefore he said to his chariot driver, Turn around, carry me out of battle, for I've been wounded. The battle continued all day, and the king was propped up in his chariot facing the Syrians until the evening. The blood flowed into the bottom of the chariot, and about sunset the cry went through the army, Every man to his city. Every man to his country. So the king died and was brought to Samaria, and they buried him in Samaria, and they washed a chariot of blood in the pool of Samaria, and the dogs licked the blood. The prostitutes washed themselves in it, according to the word of the Lord. Now look out here, and I see some confused looks. I thought you said you had an awesome passage. Some of you are probably going, No wonder he flunked speech. Let me paint this picture for you. This is Ahab. This is the worst king that Israel ever had. The Bible said all the kings did evil before them, and the last one is Ahab. Now, Ahab has done one really bad thing. He has formed an alliance with the Sidonians out of Phoenicia, and that is modern-day Lebanon. And if you know anything about the Middle East, anything that comes out of Lebanon is not good for Israel. So he's formed this alliance, and for this alliance, he has won the king's daughter's hand in marriage. This beautiful princess that became the queen, her name was Jezebel. And now that starts to draw some things into focus. We know that is a wicked woman. Now then there's this one little sidebar story that Ahab wants this vineyard and the farmer won't sell it to him. And he goes back pouting. So Jezebel plots a a plan to have the farmer killed and and the vineyard give to Ahab. So the prophecy comes that he is going to be killed. His blood is going to be spilled in the vineyard and she is going to be ate by the dogs. So this was something God said was going to happen. So now let's talk about this archer. The Bible does not say this is Sinbad, the great warrior. It says a certain archer. We don't know his name. We don't know what town he came from. We don't know what his profession was when he was not, not a warrior. But I want you to know something. God knows his name. And God had a simple thing for him to do. 
Now think about this archer. He comes to battle with a certain amount of arrows that he's carefully straightened, flexed, and made accurate. But after he's fired his arrows, he's got no choice but to go around on the ground and pick up the arrows that have been fired at him and fire them back. So now we know he's prob- since the battle's carried on for some time, he's probably firing arrows that aren't most likely going to be the most accurate. And all he can do is lob these arrows clear over into the enemy camp and try to take out some of their reinforcements. And somewhere in the battle, one of those wounded arrows finds the magic spot and kills the king. Now, why is this important to us? Because this man most likely went back to his homeland, to his town, to his job, totally totally unaware that he had won the war. And here's the really important part. As soon as Ahab was dead, his successor went and killed Jezebel and threw her off the wall for the dog to eat because that canceled the alliance with the Phoenicians. Israel would have been a very different place in a very short time if that alliance had been allowed to stay in place. So here's the point I want out of this whole passage. One man, one average, ordinary man, doing what God needed him to do, changed history. This is why I hope that it will connect with us today. Because Satan tries to tell us, you can't do anything for God. And sometimes it seems like that what we're doing isn't very effective. Research says that it's somewhere between 7 and 12 major events in a person's life that brings them to salvation if they're, if they're saved in an adult time. We may be event number one. We may be event number three. We may be event number five. Maybe event number seven or 11. And that we don't ever see that person come to Christ. But the things that we do may have been one of those things that has brought that person to Christ and not only changed their history, has changed their eternity. I believe when we get to heaven, we're in for four surprises. The very first one is we are there ourselves. Now, don't look at me that biased because we know that we have sinned And we do not deserve heaven. It's because of the grace of our Savior hanging across and dying for us, taking our place, that we get to be there. The second surprise I believe we're there for, in for, is looking around saying, where is this person? I knew them for 30 years and they were in church. Where are they? Because they became religious people and never became people of faith. The third surprise that I believe we're in for is the people that are there were going, I had no clue that they would have even came to Christ. And the fourth surprise I believe we're in for is the people that will come to us and say, you don't know this, but when you did this little thing, it was one of the events that pointed me to Christ, and I'm here because of you. Ray Bolt used to sing this song in the contemporary music, Thank You for Giving to the Lord. I was a life that was changed. And the story is of a man that goes to heaven, 
And these people are coming up to him, and he, they're there because of what he did, because of his generosity, because of what he, the things that he shared. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I was a life that was changed. This happened to us, only we actually got to find out about it. We bought some businesses in Glen Allen years ago, and one of the things we got was an RV park. And in the very back row in the RV park, guy camped there for a few years. He worked for the utilities during the summertime. He was a great guy. He was a wounded Vietnam vet with several Purple Hearts. He was a bitter and a tough guy. And one time I told him my testimony, and all I, the only response I got out of Bill was, that's cool, Dave. And the subject was done. We couldn't talk about it again. But Bill left Glen Allen a few years later, and one day he called me, and he said, David, i got to tell you something. I gave my life to Christ, and he says, your story was one of the things that brought me to it. Now, see, if Bill hadn't made that phone call, I would not know to this day that Bill's history was changed and his eternity was changed. And I wonder how many of those people are in my life and in your life. But sometimes it seems like when we don't see things happening that God's not at work. There's a true story. Sunday school teacher taught Sunday school for 17 years and only saw one little boy accept the Lord. She resigned her position in teaching and spent the rest of her time in church as a pew warmer and felt like a failure. The little boy was Billy Sunday. Can you imagine this woman now coming in heaven and these people coming to her and saying, I'm here because of Billy Sunday, and Billy Sunday's here because of you. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I was a life that was changed. One person, one average ordinary person doing what God told him to do changed history. I hope this is a challenge for us to leave this morning looking for a mission and finding a way to, to pursue it passionately. Sometimes there's a lot of excuses out there why we're gonna not doing it. Well, I'm a nobody. God specializes in doing the incredible with nobodies. Most of our characters in the Bible were nobodies until God called them. In our Copper River Float ministry, we have a guy by the name Bob. Bob's been with us for a lot of years. The last two years, he hasn't been able to, to be with us. But Bob started when he was almost 70 years old, rowing rafts 58 miles a weekend and being part of the ministry. Bob now has a blood deficiency disease that is at some point going to turn to either leukemia or lymphoma. But Bob would not allow the excuse, I'm too old. He came and served. And I believe there are men that have rode in Bob's raft that will be singing someday, thank you for giving to the Lord. Some people believe that they can't serve God because of their past. This Bible is filled with people who had a horrid past that God used. Let's run through some excuses. Abraham was too old. Joseph was a liar and a cheat. I'm, excuse me, Jacob. Joseph was abused. Moses was a stutterer and a mur murderer. Gideon was afraid. 
Samson was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah, Daniel, and Timothy were too young. David was an adulterer and murderer. Elijah was suicidal. Jonah ran from God. Job went bankrupt. Peter denied Christ. John Mark was a deserter. And Lazarus was a dead man. That God used mightily to change history and to change eternity. If you think that your past is a roadblock to you serving Christ, I want to tell you, your vision of Calvary is very weak. Calvary may be on a hill called Golgotha, but the foot of the cross is level ground. There are no superstars at the foot of the cross. Billy Graham came to Christ the same way that you and I did, broken people and useless vessels until God filled them. There was a time in my life that I thought God was through using me. In 1991, I had my 11-year-old daughter abducted and raped and murdered in Glen Allen. And as the effects of the grief wore on, my wife at the time became mentally ill and started trying to take her life. And within a very short time, her, her body would hold the scars of literally hundreds of self-inflicted injuries. It got so bad that I got a visit from the state social worker that told me, you need to make, do something. You need to remove your wife from this home or we're going to remove your children. And the lowliest day of my life, the lowliest day of my life, I went to the state trooper's office and signed the papers to have my wife arrested and taken against her will to the state mental institution and held to, to keep her safe. The move that I thought would save her life cost me my marriage. I left the divorce court rejected, broken, and I went home and I sat down in my living room and we had this beautiful antique baking pot that one of the kids dropped and broke. And I, because it was beautiful, I glued it back together. But I looked at that pot and I says, God, that's me. I'm a broken vessel. I'm worthless. And I had this fit with God several times through through my valley of grief. And finally, I was watching the news, and at the time we were having some TV evangelists being caught in, in sexual problems. And I looked at that pot, and I said out loud, God, that is not fair. That is me. I'm a broken and worthless vessel. And the thought went through my mind, David, I would rather use a broken vessel than a dirty one any day of the week. The only one that likes a dirty pot is a dog. But God loves to take a broken vessel and turn it into a masterpiece, into something that's infinitely valuable. And you know why it's valuable? He sent his son to hang a cross and die for it. Except we listen to the little voice that says, you're on the shelf, you're broken, I'm done with you. And the voice is not from God. So Dave, what can I do? Every one of us has talents, and every one of us has abilities, either through our jobs, through our recreation. There's something that God can use if we will use that talent for ministry. Seventeen years ago, I never thought rowing a raft down a river could lead men to accept that Jesus Christ as their Savior. To have men rededicate their lives, to have men come clean with affairs and addictions and problems that we've been able to get them help for. We've seen some amazing results. When I got the focus that my love for whitewater rafting could become a mission. 
Okay? How about you? How about if you're an accountant using your abilities for helping low-income people with the tax time and budget mentoring? How about mechanics fixing single mothers, low-income people's cars? How about mentoring single mothers' sons and daughters? If you've got a son or daughter the age of those, invite them along on your family adventures. Let them see a godly man in their lives. Because you know what? The world is looking for a man to put in those kids' lives. And the manhood will lead them to a gang. They'll lead them to prison or face down in the street from a gunshot. And it'll lead the, the girls to have it, thinking that they found the love of a man to ruin their, their lives sexually. How about after school tutoring or coaching? Just some ideas. I don't know all of you people. I don't know your abilities, but I know you have a mission for God. And is it possible that the greatest sin of omission is the sin of no mission? There's another thing that happens with us, with our ministry. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Wherefore, seeing as we are gathered about by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets us, and run with patience the race before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy before him was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God. Now you see, it's talking about that ministry. It's talking about those things, and it says, don't let the sins that beset you disqualify you. But if you go too fast, you'll miss something I think is really important and probably where we trip, all of us trip ourselves up in. And it's called the weight that entangles us. Me and my wife have used this from time to time. Sometimes we wish we were better at it than we are. We call it the monofilament test. You guys are probably like I am. You have a, mo- a roll of monofilament line. And you've probably done the same dumb thing that I've done. You've needed a leader, and you've pulled off this piece, and you didn't put it back under the little rubber band, and you put it back in the drawer. And I have no idea how it does this, but the next time you need that spool of monofilament, there's 50 lures tangled up in it. Now, is monofilament wrong? No, monofilament is good stuff. It's very hard to catch a fish without monofilament line. You're down to drift nets and dynamite in the state of Alaska. has a real problem when you fish that way. See, this represents the good things in life that get in the way of doing the great things for God. If this is your box, you're no longer fishing for king salmon. You're untangling line. The good things in life that get in the way of doing the great things for God. One of the best examples I heard of this, I hauled a load of fuel to a Delta grain farmer. And if you know Delta Junction, it's a very cold place. And I met this old guy, and he told me his dad was one of the original farmers in Delta. And they were trying to build farms and trying to raise cattle, and they were slaughtering their cattle to make it through the winter. So he says his dad got a really good idea. He walked out into the front yard, and he built this fenced area with real tall fence posts, a real tall gate, and one roof, chicken wire. And then he went out to the barn. And apparently when you harvest grain, you get good quality, and you get the seconds, or they call it the junk grain. And it's only good for feeding cattle, but you can't feed them very much or you'll kill them. 
So you have this overabundance of junk. So he gets this thing of junk grain, and he throws it out in that fenced area. And the wild ducks found it, and they started eating it. And he'd feed them some more, and the more ducks would feed it. And this would carry on. After a couple weeks, he said, Son, you see something? Those ducks are having a little trouble clearing the fence. Next day, they put up some more chicken wire. Left the gate open. They put more grain inside. The ducks would land in the yard, walk in the gate, eat the grain, leave. A few more days, third row of chicken wire, fence over the top, gate open, lots of grain. He said, when his dad thought he had the most grain or most ducks in that pen that he was going to get in there, he stepped out on the porch, he pulled the string, and the gate slammed shut. And the wild ducks went absolutely nuts. They're flying, they're hitting the fence. They're falling back down. His dad walked out and slung some more grain through the fence into the inside area, and the ducks went right back to eating. And he gave him a job. He says, when these ducks get excited about something, just feed them some more. Keep them fed. He says, that wasn't a hard time till fall time. When the wild ducks would be flying south, there'd be these long V's across the sky, and these ducks would start trying to fly and hit the fence. He'd have to go throw more grain out there. He said, by wintertime, none of the wild ducks had escaped. He said, we had roasted duck for dinner a lot. We had duck soup for lunch a lot. He says, in the springtime, they made nests, they laid eggs, they had chicks. But he says, I knew which one of those ducks were captivity ducks and which ones were wild ducks. And he said, the most amazing thing was next fall, when the wild ducks flew south for the winter, the wild ducks in the pen never even looked up. They walked around looking for the junk on the ground. This is what happens with us when we get monofilament tangling our lives. The good things in life get so out of control that we no longer hear the wild call from above that says, come and serve me. We walk around looking for the junk on the ground. Is it possible that the greatest sin of omission is the sin of no mission? I hope when we leave these doors today, we're challenged to find the area that we can pursue God, pursue our mission, and change people's lives, change people's eternities, and believe that the little things that we're doing are effective. I hope, people, that when you leave today, that you're challenged. I hope that we live our lives so that when our heart takes its last beat, when our lungs take its last breath, the first thing that we hear is the Jesus who loved us and hung on a cross and died for us. Say to us, well done. You were a good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord and all that we've prepared for you. And then I hope you hear a choir of angels that sings, thank you for giving to the Lord. I was a life that was changed.